0: Great. Well, guys, if you um, can grab your Bibles, get them out. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, they're over there. Uh, Raise your hand. Catherine, Katie, they'll bring you one. They're over there. Bible, Bible. Where's your Bible? Where's your Bible? Where's your Bible? Get one. No, 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 no. Go get one. Physical. right <laughs> awesome all right guys well uh, see that's what happens when you dilly dally you get left with a little tiny new believers new testament bible it still works <laughs> well okay so question for you guys not related to galatians yet um you guys eating okay these days? Yeah, just not this morning. Three three square meals a day, more than three yeah. square meals. Yeah. You, you didn't forget to feed yourself this week. You, like oh that's what I forgot this week to eat. Oh no, that's that's pretty pretty much happening on a regular basis for you. I it's like i I value an extra hour of sleep a lot more than. a Right. Well, for you, your, your coffee here is your breakfast. Yeah, Free coffee at the church. That's Alex's breakfast. So here's the next question. Did you forget to feed your soul this week? We, we don't tend to forget to eat, do we? Do you have a hunger and thirst for God's word? Do you have a hunger and thirst for wisdom to know how to live your life? Did you forget to read your Bible this week? Did you pray this week? something we all need to work on. I just bring it up because I'm, I'm talking to someone, a friend of mine, um, older than you guys, and he's, you know, saying, man, I'm just, I'm not reading my Bible. It's not happening, and I'm trying to text him and remind him, you know, read your Bible, read your Bible, and it's just something we always need to be reminded of. Now, why do I say that? Do I say that because if you read your Bible, you'll be saved? No, right? It's reading your Bible, doing good works doesn't save you. But we should be satisfying an appetite. First of all, we should have an appetite for God's word. We should want to know how to live our lives in such a way that we realize what I've got available to me on Facebook and um, school, watching my friends the way they live, that's not enough for me to know how to live a good life. I need God's word to instruct me. So are we feasting on God's word um, on a regular basis? So I only say that... Some of us come to church and we're like, oh, guilt trip, guilt trip. I don't say that to give you a guilt trip. Don't be guilty. Okay? Don't feel guilty. If you haven't been reading your Bible, start tomorrow. And I'll tell you again next week, start tomorrow. Okay, There's always tomorrow. If you, didn't do, if you don't do it this week and you come back next week, I'll say it again. Start tomorrow. Okay, Start today. Okay, So that's just a, just a reminder, an encouragement. <coughs> Jesus says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. You. We have to be seeking and savoring and abiding in Jesus if we want to live this Christian life. We can't do it on our own. So today we're going to be in Galatians chapter two. Okay, so in Galatians chapter two, um, we're going to jump into a really interesting topic, and I and I love that the Bible is so applicable. That as I prepared this passage, it starts off and we're talking about something that happened two thousand years ago between a couple of guys that we don't really know. And yet, as we look at the meaning behind the passage, you're going to see that it really hits us right between the eyes as middle school and high school students living in Wheaton, Naperville, Warrenville, Aurora, Winfield. It's going to hit us here. Okay? So look forward to that. So, here, what we're going to do by way of introduction Do you know people who act one way with one group of friends? but another way with another group of friends. Just, yes, you know people like that? Okay, yeah, okay. We know people like that. Perhaps they're one way with their soccer team, and they're another way once they go to their choir practice. Or maybe they're one way at band, um, with their friends at band, or they're another way at work. Or maybe they're one way at camp during the summer, and they're another way the rest of the year. Or maybe they're one way when they're around their church friends, and they're another way when they're around their school friends. Um, I'm sure that many of us know this personally, right? We know what it's like to have a friend who treats you one way. You know, we're buddies, we're friends, we're talking, we're chatting it up. And then someone else walks up and it's like something changes. And I'm either I don't exist anymore or I'm just, you know, not as interesting as I was two minutes ago before someone else walks up and they run over to that other friend and that friend is now getting all the attention Or maybe we've even been this person, that we're this person who treats people one way, and then we change the way we treat them around other people. Um, What do you think motivates us to act like that? What motivates people to do that? Maybe we want to fit in. All right, we just want to fit in. And so, how would that? How does that desire to fit in cause us to act one way with one group and another way with another group? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. So you want to be, you're more secure with this group and you want to have more friends, right? Okay. Any other reasons that would cause us to act this way? What do you guys think? How does it make us feel when people act this way around us? What's the result? What's it communicate? Like kind of left out. Definitely. All right, so you feel left out when your friend does that to you? What does it communicate to you? Yeah, Katie. don't feel as the other Yeah. Somehow you don't fit the categories that that other person fits, right? And so you're going to get forgotten and the other person's going to get pursued, right? Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. You start asking if the relationship is draining. Yeah. You might ask yourself, like, you know, they act like they're my friend, but if this is the way they treat me, I wonder if we really are friends. Have I already touched on, you know, you don't have to say anything, but I'm hoping I'm already touching on something that is real for you. This is something that really, you feel this, you experience this. Well, our word today in Galatians chapter 2 speaks to this situation. So if you're in Galatians chapter 2, look at verse 11, okay? Ryan, don't make me keep writing, man. You're on the front row. You got the Bible on the ground there. <laughs> All right. Galatians 2, chapter 11. What? Verse 11. Nope, wait. Verse 11. There we go. Verse 11. Okay. So keep your thumb right there. All right. Don't put it down or I might call you out. Um, okay. Okay. Just kidding, that's okay. So we are in a new situation from where we were earlier in chapter 2. So let's do a quick review. Um, if you're looking at your Bible, chapter 1, if you have a pen and you want to underline anything, there's some important stuff here. Chapter 1, huge problem we see in verse uh, 6, 1-6, six, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So we've said in the past that the problem in Galatia is that you've got this church of people who heard the gospel, loved the gospel, accepted the gospel, and then new people came in and they said, oh, by the way, your gospel is incomplete. You can't just follow Jesus. You need to follow Jesus and obey the Old Testament Jewish laws to be saved. And Paul says to them, how could you leave the gospel for another gospel, this gospel of Jesus plus the law, which is really no gospel at all. And so Paul goes on to give them this long argument that talks about how he was called to God, and it talks about him going to Jerusalem. And the whole point of this is to combat the idea that was out there that the reason you should listen to these new people who came in is because they come with authority, and their authority comes from Jerusalem because they came from Peter and James and John, these great apostles, and they have just as much authority as uh, Paul does. And so you should really listen to us and not Paul. And so Peter is, or Paul is debunking that idea, saying, nope, I have authority um, that's even beyond theirs. You should be listening to the real gospel. And so he talks about Jerusalem for a little bit, and now he's going to switch context. He's going to talk about something that happened in a city called Antioch. Now there's some key differences between Jerusalem and Antioch. He is shifting from a completely Jewish context to a completely Gentile context. So, you know what that means for Angel and I in our lives, that means like, you know, when we we're in the Jerusalem, you go to one side of Jerusalem and you're with all Jews. Okay? Literally, all Jews very Jewish neighborhoods. You can tell you're in a Jewish neighborhood because of the way people dress. They dress with the typical Jewish dress. They speak in Hebrew. Um, They do Jewish things. You see them praying at the wall. They're carrying out religious practices. You go to the restaurants on the Jewish side and you find that you can't eat certain foods. They only serve the foods that are allowed in the Jewish law, so they don't have any pork. They don't have any seafood. And God forbid they don't have any cheeseburgers because you can't mix meat and dairy, okay? And, and, and everything about that says we are Jewish, okay? And that's what Jerusalem is like. People are very religious. It's a very religious city in Jerusalem. And religion is everywhere. All the babies you would know, you wouldn't check, but you would know that all of them had been circumcised on the eighth day, okay? And just to clear anything up, if you don't know what circumcision is, it's when they take the baby on the eighth day and they cut off the skin on the tip of the penis, okay? I'm a, awkward moving on, Okay? But just in case, that word is really important because it ties to all of what Jews did. And it symbolized all of the Jewish law. And if you are a Jewish family and you didn't do that to the boys in your family, you weren't upholding God's command for your family. You weren't upholding the law. Okay, so you would assume that that's what was going on with all these families. And the temptation for everybody from Jerusalem was to do exactly what these people did who came into the Gentile congregation in Galatia, which is to say, you can't just have Jesus to be saved. You need to have Jesus plus all the religious laws. That's the temptation in Jerusalem. And so, we already heard that when Paul went to Jerusalem, the whole reason to go to Jerusalem was to make sure that these apostles, Peter, James, and John, weren't teaching that message. The whole purpose was to go and make sure that they weren't telling people that, yes, you really need to have the law plus Jesus to be saved because Paul knows that is not the gospel. That is being saved by what you do, not saved by who you believe in. And so the context has changed. And it's changed in that not Paul going to Jerusalem, now Peter is coming to Antioch. Antioch is in Greece, Turkey, all right, area. Antioch is a Gentile city. And so it would be like if you hopped on a plane and you were in Jerusalem with all that religious stuff and you hopped on a plane and you flew back and you got off the plane and now all of a sudden you're in Chicago. Okay? And it's going to look very different, isn't it? You aren't going to see people walking around with the Jewish hats and Jewish robes and the curls down the side of their heads and um, you aren't going to see the Jewish women you know, with the head coverings and the Jewish men with the kippahs on the top of their head and all that stuff that... Declares that you are in a very religious place. No, in Antioch, everyone is what they would consider to be a pagan. Okay, so the temptation in Antioch would be to worship these false gods, to worship these gods like Zeus, all right? Gods that you've read about um, in in your times in school, okay? And so they would be tempted to worship many false gods. They were not following the Jewish law. That wasn't even on their radar screen. You know, I can't eat certain things. I can't, you know, wear certain things. It's not even on their radar screen. Okay, they don't have any Jewish festivals that they celebrate. No one's circumcised because that's just not what you did as a Gentile. And no one feels guilty about this because this is how they've lived their whole life. They've never had a law that they had to follow, a religious law like this that they had to follow. So they don't feel like they're missing out. All that they heard was they heard the gospel. They heard this guy named Paul who actually brought this guy named Barnabas with him and he taught them If you want to be saved, if you want to know the real God, all you have to do is believe in him. Put your faith in the fact that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, and you will be saved. And they were excited about it. They accepted this gospel, and they loved it, and they followed Jesus. And Peter comes, well, lots of spit there, sorry. Peter comes to visit this church in Antioch. Now we have to get some background on Peter before we understand what he does when he gets to Antioch. When Peter comes to Antioch, I mean, you can imagine that people would have been a little bit excited to have Peter there. If they knew who Jesus was and they knew the gospel, they would know that Peter was the guy that Jesus left in charge. Jesus changed his name to the rock because on this rock I will build my church so that when Jesus left, Peter's the guy in charge. And now he's coming from Jerusalem to come visit our church. And so in Antioch, Peter gets there. Now, Peter had grown up his whole life a Jew. He was born Jewish. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He learned the law as a little boy. He grew up not eating or touching any of the forbidden foods. He never associated with non-Jewish people. He never associated with Gentiles. Because the Jewish law taught that if you eat these foods and if you associate with these, these people, it will make you unclean for worship. Now let's take a little sidebar here. Why would God give them a law that said they couldn't hang out with certain people or eat certain things? The reason God... Yeah, God? Reprojection, like, there's sickness and illnesses. Okay, there was some of that, all right? But we know now that you can eat a pork and eat, eat pig and it's okay. You can eat a cheeseburger, it's okay. I, I would say that the main reason that he did this is because God wanted to teach them one thing, which is that God is holy, therefore you also have to be holy. The word holy means set apart. You're set apart from the world around you. God is not like the world. And if you follow him, you should not be like the world either. And so God gave them laws to help separate them from the people around them, and to say, we should behave and act differently. But with Christ, when Christ came, something changes. We're going to talk about that in just a second, but that's why he gave them this law. So Peter then, a good Jewish fisherman, meets Jesus, and he's hanging out with Jesus, and Jesus says this in Mark chapter 7, he says, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And he's talking about the things that come out of your heart, what you say, what you do. That's what makes you defiled. And it says in verse 19, thus he declared all foods clean. This was a very important day, all right, in the life of people who follow God because it was on this day that God said, cheeseburgers for everybody. Okay, so Jesus is saying, nothing you eat can make you unclean. Yes, God made these laws for a certain season. And it was to communicate something to you. You should be different from those around you. But now that Christ has come, something has changed. You can't be made unclean by what you eat. You can't be made unclean by who you hang out with. What makes you unclean is what comes out of your heart. It's sin. Sin is what makes you unclean. Now Peter heard that. But we know that Peter didn't get it. Because after Jesus dies... And Peter is sent out, and Jesus has told him, you are going to go out, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the nations. He's saying, I want you to go out to all people. Peter didn't get that either. Because Peter is going up on his roof to pray, and as he goes up to pray, he gets really hungry, and he asks someone to make some food for him, and as he's waiting for the food, he falls asleep, and as he sleeps, he has this vision. Two or three times this vision happens. He sees a giant sheet full of animals coming out of heaven. And in that sheet are animals that are considered to be unclean animals that Jewish people should not eat. And a voice comes from heaven and it says, Get up, Peter, kill an animal and eat it. And Peter says, No way. He says, I have never eaten what will make me unclean. So we can tell Peter didn't really get what Jesus said back in Mark. And so God says it again. Get up. Eat. Three times it happens. And then God says, what God has made clean, do not call unclean. <gasps> Whoa. Whoa. It's clean now. God says it's clean now. So Peter is thinking about this. and He's like, man, this is really weird. And then three guys show up. They knock on the door, and the Spirit speaks to Peter and says, Peter, there's three guys at the door, and you need to go with them. So Peter goes downstairs, he goes with them, and where do they take him? They take him to the house of a Gentile, of an unclean person, a non-Jew, and that Gentile says, I have been pursuing and praying to God, and God said that he would send someone to tell me about him, and now he's sent you. And Peter goes and he tells him the gospel, and Peter says this, God has shown me that I should not call any person unclean, and God accepts everyone Jews and Gentiles, who choose to follow him. So Peter's come a long way. Peter went from saying, I won't even touch anything unclean, to now he realizes, whoa, God made it so that even the Gentiles can be clean. These people that I've been avoiding my whole life. And so now we fast forward and Peter is in Antioch. Now in Antioch, we have a mixed group of people. We have Jews, we have Gentiles, and we have this church and it's a beautiful, wonderful thing, and they're worshiping together. And here's what happens. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. Paul says, But when Cephas, that's Peter's name in Greek, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Let's stop there. Put yourself in the shoes of the Gentiles in the church in Antioch. Peter, the famous apostle of Jesus Christ, whom you are following, has come to visit your church. He comes and he treats you like family because you share Christ together. He sits down with you. He probably told you about Jesus. Maybe he preached the sermon that day. He sits down with you and accepts you as brothers and sisters in Christ. He hugs you. He sits at your table. He takes the food. He breaks it. He passes it around. He blesses it. And he shares a meal with you. The family feeling is strong around the table among the Jews and the Gentiles who are sitting there. You're brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's evident that God has made it possible for you even to share a meal together. And you're eager to sit with Peter. Maybe he's going to tell you even more stories about this Jesus that you're coming to love. When suddenly a group of men walk through the door, clearly they're religious. You can tell by what they're wearing that they're the religious Jews. And these are the guys who you know think that you're unclean. These are the guys who won't come to talk to you. They won't come close to you. And you see Peter look from the guys back to you, the guys, and back to you. You see him flustered, and he puts down his food. As he quickly gets up, he turns his back on you, and he leaves you to go join these men. And to make matters worse, all the Jews at the table do the exact same thing. And to make it even worse, one of the missionaries who taught you about Jesus named Barnabas, one of the guys who helped to form this church, does it too. All these guys get up and treat you like you are some untouchable monster and walk away to go stand with the Jews. Can you imagine how you'd feel? You thought we were all in this together. You thought we were all one. Imagine the shock, the pain, the questions. You know, maybe the gospel really isn't for me. If the great apostle Peter doesn't accept me, then maybe Jesus doesn't either. Maybe I need to start obeying the Jewish law and living like a Jew. Maybe that's my only hope, if God's really going to accept me. And as you're thinking these things, Paul stands up from the table next to yours. And in a firm voice, he says, Peter! If you, though like a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You and I are both Jews. We were born with Jewish parents. We're not Gentiles. We know that the Jewish law says they're unclean, but we both know that following the Jewish law is never able to make us clean. We both know that the only way to be made clean from sin is by believing in Jesus. That's why we've chosen to believe in Jesus and not try to earn our salvation by obeying the law. Come on, Pete. Stop living like you need to follow the Jewish law to be saved. Live for Jesus. Remember his love for you, how he gave his life for you. Stop acting like his death doesn't mean anything. Don't throw away the grace that God has shown you, Peter. Peter, bring your life in step with the gospel. Now that's my paraphrase of what the rest of the chapter is saying. And so we want to look at what Peter's problem was, because it's also our problem. And we need to look at what Paul's solution is for Peter, which is also our solution. So what's the problem? Well, the big problem that Peter has is that he's not living in step with the truth of the gospel. All of us, the gospel says, are accepted by God through Jesus Christ. And God is the one who makes us clean when we believe in Jesus. But that's not what Peter is living out. Peter is living as if the gospel is real when he's around some people, but not among other people. Now, we do the same thing, don't we? So he's living like the gospel defines us among some people, but living by a different standard among others is how I put it here. We do the same thing. We do completely the same thing. And you might say, it's all right to talk about Jesus and be a Christian here at church, but what about school? It's okay to be known as a Christian at youth group. That's easy. But what about on your sports team? We have the same problem as Peter. We want to appear as a Christian, you know, when we're around our Christian family, when we're at church, but we do the exact opposite when we're at school, choir, at work, at band. We're buddy-buddy with people in our youth group when we come to youth group, but when we see those same people at school or outside of church, we separate from them. We don't want to be seen with them. We live by a different gospel when we leave these doors, don't we? We live by a gospel that says only the popular survive. Don't be caught dead talking to someone who think is a nerd. Or don't do anything that might cause social suicide. All right, that's the real gospel that we live by once we get out these doors. Last week we had see you at the flagpole. And I asked this question not to condemn anybody. Because going to the flagpole once a year doesn't make you a Christian. But I asked the question, if you didn't go, why not? Those are a lot of excuses. Sleeping in, you know, busy, forgot. But it's a good question. Why, Why didn't I go to the flagpole on that one see you at the flagpole day? We announced it in youth group. We knew about it. We knew it was coming. We knew what it was. So why didn't we go? I read an article this week about this young man who went to his flagpole expecting for other classmates to show up and to spend his whole morning praying as the buses came in and out and finally realizing that he was going to be the only one there. And this picture was taken by his mom who snapped the shot from uh, her car as she left and realized that this is what her son was going to do. And, and she posted on social media and um, just the outpouring of praise on his behalf was uh, really strong as people just praised the fact that he was such a strong young man and unafraid of the fact that he would stand up for his faith in front of everybody. And he talked about how, you know, at first he just, you know, knew he was going to go and he started praying and, and waiting for people to show up. And his prayers changed over time as he realized no one was going to come. And he, and he started praying for his school, that God would start moving in the hearts of his classmates that they too wouldn't be afraid to stand up for their faith and identify as a Christian both at school and not just at church. You might also ask, you know, why don't we go to our school's Christian club if we have a Christian club, our prayer group? Why don't we go to, um, and, and if it doesn't have a prayer club, why don't we start one? We've talked about that in here, haven't we? We've talked about this... Illinois School Project, we have a movement that's working to start Christian clubs in all the high schools and to see them grow, and not just grow, but to put on outreach events at their schools. And there are schools that have nothing like that going on, and we have people here who go to those schools. So why aren't we starting groups in those schools? Why aren't we taking the opportunity to identify as a Christian at our school and not just at church? Another question we might ask is this. Has this false gospel of popularity even made its way into this building? Into this room? Is it possible that even here at church, you won't talk to or associate or hang out with certain people, your fellow Christians, because they're not cool enough? My answer, based on my observations, is yes. Why else would we walk into a youth room at 6.30 and some one person our same grade, is sitting on a couch, why else would we go and sit on the complete opposite side of the room and get our phone out and wait for our real friends to show up? I would say that our group has been infiltrated by this mindset that even here at church, we live by a false gospel. We live by a gospel that says only the popular survive, that salvation is through popularity. So again, I don't say this to condemn you. It's just another indication that we are sinners in need of grace. And this is an area where as middle school and high school students, we desperately need God's grace. We need to grow and we need to change. Now, why do we do this? Why do we act this way? Well, why did Peter act that way? Why did Peter get up and leave his Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ and go over to the circumcision party? It says very clearly um, in... Yeah, fearing there. In verse 12, he says he separated himself fearing the circumcision party. So we do it out of fear. Peter feared the circumcision party, which is not really a party. It means it's a group. If that was a party, I wouldn't want to go to that party, really. Uh, It's a group of people, the circumcision party. And he, he left them out of fear. And that's the way that we live too, isn't it? That's why we ignore someone who's our same grade when we walk into the youth room and it's just two of us in the room. That's why we don't go to the flagpole that one day. You know, because we know that the flagpole is right where the buses pull in and right where all of our friends are going to go past and right where everyone drives past us and sees us praying there. That's why we don't really go to the prayer club in the morning. You know, we could say, well, it's early, it's before school, I don't know anybody, I don't know where it is, but those are all excuses, those are things we can quickly get over. But isn't that the reason why we don't go? It's fear. And that's why we ignore our friends from church when we're at school and act like we have no connection to them. Because at school, they're just a nerd. Christianity has nothing to do with it. That's not what bonds us. We're pursuing popularity. So we're motivated by fear. We're afraid of what people are going to think of us. We're afraid of appearing uncool. We're afraid of what's going to be said to us or about us if people see us standing at the flagpole or hanging out with certain people. So what's the result of that sort of behavior? Well, the result is division. We communicate to both our Christian friends and our non-Christian friends that the gospel doesn't really bind us together. That's not really what unites us. That's not really what's most important in our lives what Paul calls Peter out on is he says, when you act this way, you live as if Christ died for no purpose. You live as if the gospel is nothing. That Christ's death means nothing. And that what really matters in life is who you hang out with. What really matters in life is who are your friends. And this rips the church apart. It rips friends apart. It rips relationships apart. And it leads people to hell. For us to teach one another, to demonstrate for our non-Christian friends that our Christianity really doesn't bind us to our friends, that it's really popularity that is important. It leads them to hell, and it leads us to hell. Because it shows that we don't really live by the gospel. Which calls into question the fact of of whether or not we really believe the gospel in the first place. So what's the solution? What are we going to do? Well, the solution that Paul calls Peter to in verse 14 is this. He calls him to live in step with the gospel. He says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, he calls Peter out. And he points Peter to a couple different things. Further on in the verses, he points him to the fact, Peter, do you remember who you are loved by? That you are loved. Peter, you're loved by Jesus. He's the one who loves you. Your friends might love you, they might say they love you, but it's nothing compared to the love that Jesus has for you. And remember, Peter, how you have been loved. He tells Peter that Jesus gave himself for you. Did any of your friends do that? Any of your friends died for you recently? Don't forget that that's what Jesus did for you. That Jesus took your punishment. He died your death so that you can live for him. Your friends didn't do that for you. So Pete, live like this is true. Live like it's true. Now we all know that that's incredibly hard. and So I am not trying to belittle anyone in here or make you, give you a guilt trip. If the Spirit's convicting your heart, good, go with that. That's good, we need that. But God doesn't convict us to destroy us. He does it to heal us, to change us, to bring us in step with the gospel. The gospel is like a path that we need to walk on. And when we don't live in a a way that suggests the gospel is true, then we're out of step with it. And so he says live like it's true, and we know that this is incredibly hard. That there's incredible social pressure for us to live in completely the opposite way. That the fear of people, especially at your age, is incredibly strong. That the thought of committing social suicide for Christ is nearly unthinkable. So how are we supposed to do it if we've got all that stacked against us? Well, Paul points Peter to this word. Peter reminds him That he needs to live by faith. He needs to live by faith. Faith that God is able to give you the strength to stand for him no matter what anyone thinks. And I'll tell you what, the first step is always the hardest step. The first time you do it is always the hardest. But it gets easier as it goes along. We need to live by the faith that committing social suicide in front of everybody is what leads us to eternity in heaven. That there's something way more important in life than being thought well of by people at our school or thought as popular by people at our school. We need to have faith that standing outside in the cold and praying with a handful of students while our friends drive past for 30 minutes on buses and in their parents' cars is worth it. That it's more true to who we are as a Christian than sleeping in or avoiding the comments that might come by going to it. And and real quick, let's think about what comments might come if you go and stand at the flagpole. Why were you out there praying? Why are you praying before school? It's kind of weird. Are you a Christian or something? You one of those church people? You Jesus freak? What are these comments? These, These are all open doors for sharing the gospel, aren't they? So worst case scenario, someone talks to you about it and you now have an open door to share the gospel and tell them about the hope that you have and why you live the way that you do and invite a friend into the kingdom of God and save their eternal soul from hell. Worst case scenario, someone might get saved. So ultimately, we need to have the faith that Jesus' death saves you. It's not your friends, it's not your popularity, it's Christ and what he's done for you. So let's pray. Let's pray and let's ask God to help us to live this way. Father, you know our hearts and I believe that none of us is free from the sin of association, thinking that we have salvation by association, salvation by who we hang out with. That all of us, no matter what category we might fall into at our schools, wrestles with wanting to be liked and accepted by those who are seen as cool or powerful or acceptable in our schools and not to associate with those who are not. And God, we confess that this preaches a false gospel to those who are in our schools and those who are our friends. And yet the power of persuasion and peer pressure that comes to live that way is unbearably strong, impossible even, some of us might say, to overcome. And yet we serve the God of the possible for whom nothing is impossible. And so I cry out on behalf of myself and on behalf of these students that God you would do a work in their hearts such that they might live for you. That they would find their identity first and foremost as a follower of Christ and that that would play itself out in their unashamed affection for you. And that that unashamed affection would not change based on their um, location. That it would not change whether they're at band or at choir or at practice or at school or at church they would love you first and foremost, and that in turn, they would love other people no matter what their standing is, no matter what their popularity status is, and no matter what ridicule or effect it may have on themselves. God, give us the strength to live and step with the gospel that says that we are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Well, as you go, I encourage you, think about this. Think about what has convicted me. Talk about it with friends. Talk about it with your um, small group leaders. Because we're all in this together. Again, like I said, we don't do this to condemn. We do it because when God points out sin in our lives, it's grace so that we can see it, so that we can change. Go, have a good week. Look forward to seeing you guys on Wednesday. All right. Well, so we're back in Galatians, a slave's guide.